0: Welcome to Confluence, Humanities in the Public Sphere, an IAF-sponsored podcast where we discuss various public humanities projects on Binghamton University's campus and elsewhere. I'm your host, Josh Cleaver. In recent years, academic institutions and the broader public have begun to grapple with the United States' complex history of racial injustice. There are deepening desires for more inclusive curriculums that include diverse voices telling diverse stories. For too long, these stories have either been missed or purposely hidden from our mainstream understanding of the past. At the vanguard of this drive for change on Binghamton campus is the Harriet Tubman Center for Freedom and Equity. Joining me today is Dr. Anne Bailey, Professor of History at Binghamton University and the Director of the Harriet Tubman Center. She is also the 2023 recipient of the Provost's Award for Excellence in Community-Engaged Scholarship. I can think of no one better equipped to walk us through the incredible work that the center is doing and to talk about the importance for academics to speak about contemporary issues in ways that are accessible for a wider public audience. Dr. Bailey, thank you for joining me. Happy to join you, Josh. So before we dive into the center, I was hoping you can kind of introduce your research interests, the work you do here on campus, and perhaps how those interests inform the work that you do at the Harriet Tubman Center.
1: I guess I'm in my 18th year. And in general, I teach, study, write in African, African-American, Caribbean history. And that is broadly called, in some circles, African diaspora studies. I perhaps here teach more African-American history than some of the other fields. I am right now teaching, a course, called The Making of the African Diaspora. And then I'm also teaching a grad course, major works in African-American history. How is this connected to the center? I think for me, this work is also connected to public history, history and memory and how we remember, as you've rightly said, how we remember this history has been, it's been spotty. It's been spotty in places and a lot's been done in the last number of years in the academy in terms of books. To really diversify our offerings and really to, it's not new information in many cases. It's like we're just going back and it's a work of recovery. We're going back and finding all these sources, all these stories that we just haven't told that haven't been told in the public square. So that's been happening on a, st- a steady rate in the academy, but in terms of public history, that's also important to me, that we bridge what we do in the academy with what happens in the public square, and so Harriet Tubman Center is born out of that, and that's why it's not just my scholarship in terms of African American history and so forth, African desperate studies, but it's really the scholarship of anyone interested in issues of freedom and equity from any perspective that want to see that played out in the community in some kind of direct way.
0: So when was the center uh, started? Um, What was kind of the the process of getting it off of the ground? And what are some of the, the goals or the broader intentions that the center is trying to accomplish?
1: We got going really in 2019. I mean, I think we were doing some work before that, but like really getting set in 2019. Again, the goals were to bridge the work that we do in the academy to work that can be or should be done in the community. So, for example, my associate director is Dr. Sharon Bryant. She is a medical sociologist and she does a lot of work on medical disparities. And this is academic work, of course, right? The study of disparities in medicine, depending on where you're from, who you are, your community, where you live, and so forth, even economic issues. Again, just as an example, we thought, well, this is not just an academic story. This is <laughs> These are real people who actually have to deal with these issues. And even early on, we were exploring, and we probably will come back to that, how can we not only do a study of medical disparities in a particular region or what have you, but also talk about service delivery, how to deliver, how to help create models that will help communities bridge these disparities. So that's just an example of the kinds of things that made us want to do what we're doing. Our big focus now, given that we're still full time teachers and that's we're important it's important to us to be full time faculty members and also to be still working on our scholarship, our focus now is on public history. That's why you see us with these different markers and historical markers and the downtown Binghamton Freedom Trail where we've identified sites in Binghamton that have something to do with either anti-slavery efforts or civil rights efforts. And that's an example of connecting our scholarship to the community because the fact is that we know a lot about the Underground Railroad you know, a certain amount. There's still lots more to be known, but there are lots of places which haven't been specifically identified and marked in the public square. So people may write about it in academia, but if you're just a general public and you're not on a college campus or you're not reading these books, maybe you don't have access to this information and everybody should have access to it, whether they're in college or not. And particularly we think K through 12 should have access to this information early. Over and over and over we hear from students why didn't we learn this in high school, you know, or in middle school? Why why is African American history as an example we kind of cover briefly slavery and then jump to Martin Luther King Jr. (laughs) That's it, you know? I mean it's getting better. Don't get me wrong, it's gotten a lot better in many places across the country, but as you know, there's also pushback too in places across in certain places across the country. So Our big public history project is this downtown freedom trail and we have done all the research with the help of people from our history department. We have done, uh, graduate students have been amazingly helpful on this, the research to identify where these sites are, make them very, very visible to the community, render them visible and then try to engage, particularly the public school students.
0: I know that a couple of freedom markers have already been placed. How About how many are out there for people to go see? What are plans for, do you have any idea of how many markers are going to make up this freedom trail.
1: This is what's kind of crazy is that <laughs> every time we think we're like, we're done, then we get a call or, you know, because more and more it's getting more attention. So we get a call and someone says, you know, I think, you know, there this might be a site of the underground railroad stop and that kind of thing. We're really at 12 now. There are two that are officially up and a large number are going to go up in black history month. Those who are listening, we hope to hear from you. We hope to see you. We, we hope that you join our website, MailChimp, and, you know, our email database. Uh, just go to Harriet Tubman Center for Human and Equity and just put your email and we will communicate with you so that you know when these upcoming events are. So right now we're expecting to put in a large number of them in February. But... As I said, we still get calls here and there and we want to, we don't want to miss anything. So this is the downtown area, kind of a two, three mile radius. We're interested to know.
0: So are there plans to put in a Harriet Tubman statue uh, in the Binghamton area? And what is kind of the process of, you know, either finding an artist to kind of create that statue? Like, is there a committee that's kind of going through different possible iterations of this statue? And how is this going to kind of be created in the end?
1: This has been a two-year process, and we tried to include and involve um, as many stakeholders in in the community as possible, including folks from the Binghamton Museum, students, other faculty members, obviously Harriet Tubman staff, um, people who are part of the Campus Appearance Committee. I mean, we had this public art committee that was really just working on sending out a call to artists. It was a national... Call and we had a large number of artists who sent in proposals according to our call. And over this last two year process, we this committee helped us to narrow it down to five finalists. And um, what I think we feel really thankful for is that we have just had such such great support from not just members of the campus community, but like the community at large. So when we had the five finalists, we asked them to do miniature models, you know, like miniature architecture models almost of what they would do. And they sent those to us and we displayed them in the downtown center. And we had, I mean, in the end, we also had mechanisms for feedback. So we had all these different ways in which people could get feedback. And we had over 700 responses from people, you know, quote unquote voting for, but it was more than voting. I think they really took the time to study each model and every artist that submitted and These are, these are mostly nationally known artists. They were very careful to make strong connections to Harriet Tubman's story. It was very specific the work that they did. And so whoever was viewing these models could really almost study them like studying a book and say, this is why we think that this particular view of Harriet Tubman and image of Harriet Tubman should grace our campus. So we went through that process. The public art committee also reviewed just really a whole thing, not only the feedback from the community, but then reviewed specific proposals, detailed proposals of each one and what they would do and an artist has been selected. We cannot announce yet because we're still in the process of negotiation, but we're hopeful to do that soon. In fact, I'd like to be very optimistic and say that will be done very, very soon. And it's exciting because there there was broad appeal for this artist. So I think it should be something that, you know, and that's what we wanted. We didn't want it to be about what Ann Bailey and Sharon Bryan and the rest of the Tubman Center thinks. So anybody who wanted to be a part of it could come and if they couldn't come when they saw the, the models in the newspaper, they could still vote. <laughs> they could still give their viewpoint. And uh, we like to think that we're acting in a, as democratic a way as possible.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important part of this process of kind of doing public history is kind of engaging the public and, you know, having them uh, offer their feedback. And, you know, what you said voting uh, for their kind of their favorite iteration of the statue. And I think it's going to make a bigger connection that people when they, when the statue is selected, that people feel like they were part of this process, which is definitely the important part of public history.
1: That's exactly right. In fact, you know, that the the statue will be the first, there's already a marker for Harriet Tubman, but the statue will be the first stop on the tour. It does make a big difference, like how you set the tone for the movement through the city. It won't just be the markers, there will be QR codes linking to lots of historical information about each stop there'll be interactive activities we hope to really be creative in the way that we have these markers not just like standing you know like stiff static marker but something that really is more interactive and you're right i think that if we can do this as democratically as we can now we're not perfect so there are probably some things we missed here and there and there will be other things we will miss that's just life but we're learning a lot from Um, What we've seen around the country, Uh, you may remember that when George Floyd was killed, we now know the number upwards of almost 100, about 97 Confederate statues were taken down. Many of them were just kind of forcibly taken down and, and, and while I do not advocate for that as to people to use an undemocratic process to do that, we can totally understand why that happened, right? You can totally understand why there was such anger and for some reason it was directed at these statues which seemed like symbols of injustice and symbols of a bygone era that should be bygone. And one of the things that we thought about is, okay, it's one thing to pull down 97 of the 2,000 plus Confederate statues across the country, still only a drop in the bucket. What will go up?
0: That is a Shifting gears just a little bit, another kind of work I saw on the center's website is uh, you guys conducted a truth and reconciliation commission for Binghamton. Can you kind of speak to kind of what that entailed, kind of perhaps how some people here on campus may kind of see some of the, the suggestions or the work that that was trying to accomplish?
1: Well, I can share briefly because it's such a long process, but that was another, um, and that's the other thing, I, I think it's important to say that when you're doing this work, you can't be in a, a rush. You, you want to be, certainly you want to see results, but I think you have to realize that we didn't get here overnight, so you have to be very considerate about it, and that's what we've learned. So the truth and reconciliation process did come out of the George Floyd incident. And once again, that the campus, like other campuses, there was quite a bit of uproar and concern about like, well, where are we on these issues? Okay. You know, we're not Minneapolis and this didn't happen here. We know other things happen on a different scale. We made the proposal to Harvey Stenger, to President Stenger, who was very receptive to the idea of pulling together a campus-wide group of individuals, different stakeholders, different faculty members, different students, um, even the the, the now current deputy police chief, right? Bringing those, those individuals together to listen to, mostly to listen, really. It's what in the South African model calls procedural justice and i am a big student of that history and teach it as well here the anti-apartheid movement and which ended with at the end of the anti-apartheid at the end of the at the apartheid system they had a truth and reconciliation commission uh, famously and uh Reverend Desmond Tutu was the head of that commission. And they went around all these different places all across South Africa, listening to the stories of what people had enjoyed during the years of apartheid. So that procedural process is really important. And that's really what we did. And then out of that, we wanted to pull actionable recommendations. And so we, if anybody's interested, we have a list of those recommendations. A number of them have been worked on in different ways. And some of them are still in process, as I mentioned because it takes time, and we do even consider the work that we're doing now as very much related to truth and reconciliation on our campus and in the community.
0: To speak to that, some of the changes that have been made. I know a big goal of the the center is kind of reaching out uh, to area schools and in, in terms of helping them with uh, helping with their curriculum, you know, staff development about how uh, better ways to teach. Black history and kind of the, the lessons of the past. Can you speak to that, some of the work that you're doing with the local Binghamton or Southern tier schools? First, I want to say,
1: I want to give a big shout out to um, CCPA, um, the College of Community and Public Affairs, because they have been doing a lot of work with public schools, a lot of really wonderful amazing work and they've gotten some great grants to continue that work so you know we anticipate at some point connecting with them in in different ways as well and then there are others who have done some of this so i don't want it to sound like we're the only ones even dr sharon bryant who has been for years like director of the upward bound program the c-step program all of these programs there's been a huge amount of community engagement in terms of faculty engaging public school students and trying to bring them along get them motivated for college help them to see various options and opportunities that are out there so along that line and consistent with that our focus is really just on diversifying the curriculum in keeping with that we're we're just working with folks who are interested in diversifying the curriculum and bringing for example like the downtown Binghamton Freedom Trail, making a a direct connection between, if you're teaching the abolitionist movement, hey, look no further, right? Teaching about civil rights, look no further. Or you can make a local history connection that helps students to feel connected to this history. But obviously, we're going to build way beyond that. So we've got some great public school partners, wonderful people. The superintendent is a Bainton alum. Others are working with us. It's been wonderful to work with them.
0: Yeah, listeners of this podcast, when I interviewed Dr. Langley for the Haudenosaunee Festival, she spoke to how Binghamton University, we are a public institution. We're here to also kind of serve the broader community. So being able to make these connections, you know, with a lot of the public schools uh, in this area, like they can send students, engage in public history, learn history through these freedom trail markers, I think is an important work that the center is doing. I want to close, though, by kind of broadening out and having you talk about your specific public-facing work. You have done work with the 1619 Project. You've been very active in op-ed writing. Can you kind of speak to what you think the power of a lot of this public-facing scholarship uh, is?
1: I, I feel really thankful for the opportunities to do this, I should say, and I should say that when I went to grad school, it was my aim and hope to make a bridge, once again, between the academic environment and the things I was writing and thinking about, and my, my community, local, domestic, and international. And so I have been looking for opportunities like this, but they've also come my way um, by nature of the kind of work that I've been doing academically. And I, it's been a real pleasure. So I was a part of the 1619 Project, yes, and that was a, a A really eye-opening experience because you know I'm working with journalists and and it's you know there are different timelines, there's a different way of working, but it was great learning experience. But also I like I like what we were able to produce. You know most uh, particularly the 16-page article that I had in the New York Times Magazine in February of 2020 on identifying slave auction sites uh, around the country. And that was a work that some of my undergraduates and graduate students here from Binghamton, they were research assistants on that project through the Highway Tubman Center. So that was exciting to have students involved in this in real time, and then they see, you know, the product being published and. It's something they not only put on their resume, but can feel like, oh, my goodness, I was a part of that. And so, yeah, public facing. Once again, this is more than just these are not just academic topics. Literally, these are things that affect people's lives. And that's what we saw with the death of George Floyd. That's what we saw with the reaction to it. And what we're interested in doing is healing some of these divides, bridging some of these disparities. Looking at a more positive future by really examining the past in a way that um, is productive for us now and later. So that's what it means to me personally, is just, and I'm a part of the, you know, it's a, I hope it's a movement of people that are interested in this. And I hope to motivate and encourage others to do the same.
0: Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for being a, a part of this podcast. I will look forward to all the work that the uh, Harriet Tubman Center is doing, especially with Black History Month and all of those uh, historical markers going up. So thank you uh, for being here.
1: Wonderful. Please come and see us and maybe share that with your uh, your audience.
0: we Will do. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to know more about the work that the Harriet Tubman Center is doing, you can find links to their website in the show description. Once again, Confluence is sponsored by the Institute for Advanced Studies in the Humanities. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice and share it with your family and friends. We'll be back soon with more amazing public humanities projects.